Thank you, Roman, for that wonderful reading of, script, of our scripture for today. It's only part of the scripture we're going to be going through today. Our scripture covers uh, verses 36 all the way up to or down to verse 44. Um, <clears throat> well, something is happening today. Some of you probably or most of you probably um, have forgotten about the fact that today marks our sixth year at Auburn Church, precisely today, December 17, 19... 2016. Um, you may recall this right here. This is, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I remember it was on Wednesday of that week when me and my kids, my wife was already here. She was already up here uh, staying with our friend in Colfax, our friends in Colfax, looking for, looking for a house. And um, so I, I, you know, uh, when we sold our house in in the city of Orange, in Orange County, Southern California. Uh, I drove my kids, me and my kids, in our uh, truck and pulling our fifth wheel um, with our dog, our cat. We had to leave our cat behind with grandma and grandpa in, in LA. Um, we headed down to San Diego and spent a few days there saying farewell to my family uh, there in San Diego. And I remember that uh, we, uh, me and my kids left San Diego at dusk. It, it was around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Here's one of those pictures with my brother there with his nice ponytail uh, hair. Uh, and my kids, they were so little, uh, relatively speaking. And we arrived on Weimar campus after dark. I remember around 8.30, 9, 9 o'clock, and it was uh, lightly raining at, the, at that time. Um, and there we were, and they put us uh, at a spot where they have all those trailers parked. You know, the tiniest, that corner spot, I could barely, you know, squeeze myself in. And um, one thing we did find out um, is that, you know, that road, you see that road, that's, that road leads to uh, Weimar Academy, and so we got to find out who's got the best cars um, and who, go, who, who, who drove the fastest. <laughs> uh, and um, <clears throat> they all drove fast. Uh, passing us. Um, so that was us, and um, the world has turned over many times, it seems like, since. Um, a lot has changed. I know some of you weren't here then that are here now, and conversely, some who were here then aren't here now. A lot, a lot has, has changed. Um, by the way, those are my kids back then. Wow. What happened? They grow like weeds, don't they? We've all changed. Um, at least we could say we're all six years older, right? That much we can't deny. And when I reminisce, when I reminisce and notice how my kids have grown and how in those six years also my hairline has grown, I mean, what I mean is that it's receded. And I'm shed, I'm, I seem to be shedding more hair than I can bear. <laughs> um, and, you know, this year my son is graduating from high school. Can you believe that? And my daughter is, uh, in, is, is a freshman at the academy. Um, now, anybody's been keeping time? Keeping watch of time? It seems like time just keeps flying on, flying by. It's, it's, it goes so fast. Um, some things don't change, however, in my in my, uh, to my mind, uh, my wife hasn't changed. <laughs> Despite her, all her physical struggles that you're, 
you're aware of, my wife is as beautiful as ever. And I'm grateful. That gets me out of the doghouse. Just kidding. Well, <clears throat> today it seems odd for me to be preaching from a scripture that's not about Christmas. Um, it's about the second coming. Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44 seems out of place. It's Christmas time. And Christmas is about what? Christmas is about the decorations, beautiful decorations up here today. It's about those bright and beautiful, colorful lights lining the roofs of our house. Some of you are brave enough to climb up there. Even across the mantle in the front room, maybe, the bookshelves, or along the, the entire length of the ceiling in, in, our, in, in our homes. Christmas is about stockings hanging over the mantle filled with gift, gifts, surprises. It's about the nativity scenes in, in people's front yards that we like to go driving to see beautiful. It's about the, the, the endless plays and endless concerts and parties and dinners and gift giving and gift exchange. It's about the carols. It's about the, the hot drinks, the cozy nights by the fireside. That's what Christmas is all about. So, pastor, what do you have to preach on the second coming for? It's Christmas. Give us a break. Second coming is anything but these, we say. The second coming is a cataclysm. It's, it's an upheaval of nature. It's, it's a catastrophe. It's the ending of the world. It's not what you'd want to preach on at Christmas time. It's, it's something that catches people unawares, those, at least those that are not watching. But the truth is, the truth is this, that Christmas and the second coming are not that different from each other. For one thing, both the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Christmas and the second coming are called in Scripture Advent. That's what it's called. Advent. The coming. The physical coming. The appearing. The arrival of Jesus Christ. And at Christmas, we, we celebrate His first arrival as a baby in a manger. Born as a human being to be with us to start the process of reclaiming this world, and he ushers in his kingdom. Christmas is his first advent, his first appearing as a baby born in a manger. And the second coming is his second advent, his second appearing as a, as a triumphant king to complete the kingdom and bring it to its final fruition. The two advents of Jesus are like, if you, if you were, if you please, it's like, you know, the, the two bookends positioned on, positioned on either side of our era, of our lives, of this Christian era, the era of salvation for all. And here you are, here we are, within these, within these two bookends, we live our lives in the in-between time, keeping watch to make sure that we're not caught unawares during Christmas and on every day of our lives. For Jesus' second advent, his second appearing. So we ask ourselves the, question, ourselves the question, we ask ourselves this question, why should we be always watching? And our scripture tells us that because, first of all, it's above our pay grade to know when Jesus is coming. 
And this is really the most simple fact that we tend to forget. And we of all people as Adventist people, we make it a point to know when he's coming short of the actual day. And we spend our days watching outside of ourselves to see what is the next move, what's coming next in this never-ending saga of last-day events. Here in Matthew chapter 4, 24, verse uh, 36, um, we see, you know, the, you know, the, you know the, what, what, what Jesus Christ is telling us. Let, let's, let's read that text. Now concerning that particular day and hour, he's talking about his, his, his second coming. Um, no one knows when it will be, Jesus says. Not the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. And you know, really, this is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of serenity, the beginning of wisdom, when, when we accept that we're not meant to know when. Reinhold Niebuhr's prayer of serenity, actually, I think, is very appropriate here. It captures, it captures the essence of living within the limits of our, what we know and don't know. Living within the limits of our capabilities, capabilities to know and to change and to accept that. And to live life in full view, in full acceptance of that. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of serenity. And the prayer goes like this. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as he did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? And you see, to leave in the Father's hands the momentous decision of when Jesus' second advent will be is to accept, is to accept that our lot in this world is not to know when, but to watch. And you say, Pastor, isn't that the same thing? Isn't that the same thing? Our task is not to know when, but to watch. Watch, watch, watch for what then? Well, you notice in this text that to watch is, does not primarily mean to watch for the unfolding of events, even if that is important as well. But to watch here means uh, to, to, to be watchful of our internal readiness, to watch for the tenor and the conduct of our lives with serenity, with humility, with patience, and with constancy. This seems to be the focus of Jesus Christ in this text. And notice uh, what he says further in the, following, in the following verses. Jesus is telling us to be watching our lives. That ought to be the primary concern of our waiting in the in-between time, between the first and the second advent of our Lord. In the, in the succeeding verses, in verses 37 to 40, Jesus Christ describes a phenomenon 
that sometimes we attribute only to the time of Noah, but it's actually a phenomenon that afflicts humanity at every age. It isn't a phenomenon unique to them. And what is this phenomenon? We easily fall prey to it ourselves. And this phenomenon is getting caught in the lulling and in the dulling rhythm of daily life. Life can have a lulling and dulling effect on our spiritual readiness. This phenomenon is not unique to them. It's, it afflicts us, even us, especially us, moderns, today. Life lulls and dulls our spiritual senses. Life, you see, has a rhythm of its own. And, and this rhythm, if we're not careful, if we're not watching, can suck the life out of our spiritual life. Especially this time of the year, ironically. Leaving us wholly unprepared to meet the unexpected. And you know, traditionally in the history of, 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 of Christianity, our text today has been interpreted in two ways. That the unexpected can come at the time of death, and the unexpected could come when Jesus comes, whenever he chooses to come. Notice that the great sin of the people in Noah's day it's not that they did, you know, I'm sure they had their own pet sins in those days and stuff that, crazy stuff that they did. But notice, in our text at least, that the sin of Noah's day are the normal occurrences of life. Eating and drinking, marrying and getting, you know, getting married off or being given into, into marriage, as the King James says. They allow themselves to be sucked into this vortex, into this rhythm that sucks all the other rhythms into it. To the extent that they lost sight of what's really important in life. Christmas has a way of reminding us to watch. To watch the tenor of our lives, to watch the, the, the rhythm of our spiritual life. Because life can lull and life can dull. And pretty soon we are distra uh, uh, distracted as ever can be. For as the days of Noah were, so will the appearing of the Son of Man be. For as they were in those days before the cataclysm, and that's the word that's used in, in, in the Greek, kataklismos, is describes as cataclysmic flood. Uh, cata so that's why I translated it that way, because it really captures it. It's not just a flood. I've been through several floods in my life. Um, that's, those weren't floods. This is flood. For as they were in those days before the cataclysm, constantly, now notice this rhythm of life. And I want you to notice that, you know, when, before the kids, I used to make fun of, of, of parents doing this, you know, young, you know, until I, I, got, I had my own kids. And now, even to this day, you know, I, I find myself doing this. My kids don't know what's, what's wrong with me. How could daddy have turned out like this? If they only knew. If they only knew why I'm swaying like this. But I want you to notice the swaying effect. The swaying effect of this rhythm of life. 
That's normal in every sense. Normal in every sense. For us, they were in those days before the cataclysm, constantly eating, drinking, marrying, and getting married off until the day Noah went into the ark. You see, that rhythm of life that Jesus Christ wants us to watch out for and not fall into, how they were, verse 39, how they were totally unaware right up to the time the cataclysm came and swept them all away. And Jesus says, remember that time as you read in the Old Testament scripture? Well, I'll tell you, so will it be, so will the appearing of the Son of Man be. That phenomenon that afflicted them is the phenomenon that afflicts us as well. Life. Life can suck the life out of us. <laughs> you know, two days ago, I lost my iPhone on the freeway. Yes, you can laugh now. I am without a phone. And if you've called me between Thursday and today, you, now you know why I haven't called you back. Because I don't have a phone, praise God. I don't have a phone. I lost it on the freeway. Sometimes I wonder what God does to my life just for an illustration, for a sermon illustration. Mercy, I lost my phone on the freeway between Weimar Crossroad and West Paoli Lane. I was distracted. I can't even remember doing it. I can't even remember what, when I did it. But I must have set my phone down on the hood of my car. Then I drove off with my, my daughter to take her to Pine Hills. And the phone crashed. So the app Life 60 tells my wife, Who's at work? And panics. Because now I had been in an accident. I was actually safe. I was joking around at Supercuts. They were cutting my hair. I was telling everybody, I bake a lot of bread, I'll bring you some. And they loved it. And I didn't realize my wife was driving, is driving around town finding out where I had ended up. Because Live 360 tells me I'd been in an accident because my phone had crashed. I thought I'd left it at home. So my wife leaves work driving to the scene of the accident only to find out there has been no accident. Everything's clear, either that or they cleared, my, they cleared up the side of the scene of the accident pretty, pretty fast. Um, and then, of course, we finally made contact. I'd made my way home, and I realized that I could still text. Um, you know, I, so I texted using my laptop, and, and I was able to text from my laptop at home. And, and then, then I went, and, I, and I made sure that I told my wife where I was because I didn't have a phone, and the kids were at, were at, at school. And so I went and, and parked my car on the side of the road, right uh, on the, you know, on-ramp, right down there um, by uh, west, uh, by... by uh, my, my, my entrance. Um, so I walked up and down the stretch at least four, five times, six times, God knows how, how many times. I found the case. That's all I found. Yes, go ahead. and You can laugh at me now because I, that was a very stupid thing to do. How could I have been so distracted as to make such a stupid and expensive mistake? 
life does that to you. Years ago, when, I, when the kids were babies, I promised myself never to set the baby carrier down until it is safely locked in the back seat. Why? Because I didn't trust myself. I'd, I'd seen those horror stories of parents leaving their babies on the hood. Never mind the iPhone, that can be replaced. I think. If I have enough money. But you know, it horrified me. It horrified me. It used to horrify me. So, so you know, I, so I had this, I, you know, you know if, you, if you'd seen me in those days, and, you know, uh, because, of course, when, when the wife is at work, I have the baby practically all day. And, and so I, it didn't matter how much stuff I had in my hands, whether it's tons of groceries or books, doesn't matter. I never let go of that carrier. Never did. I was scared of myself. Life has its own way of lulling us and dulling us into a rhythm. And Jesus knows that. And he says, watch your life. Watch your life as you do the things that are normal to life. Eating, drinking, marrying, and getting married off. Now, actually, you know, to, Truth be known, um, or truth be told, I, I actually feel free without an iPhone, without a phone. You can call me all you want. I will not return your call. I can't. Praise the Lord. I, I'm, I'm free. <laughs> I'm actually free. I, you know, it's, it, it. So I think I'm going to delay getting a new phone. I'm liking it too much. Jesus says, watch your life. Watch your life. Don't let life lull and, and dull you to, do, to, distract, to dis distraction that you forget about the most important things, such as being ready always for Jesus' coming. Because scripture says he is coming again. How do we know? because he did come already when he said he would. This is the connection between Christmas and the second coming, you see. One is the prelude to the other. And notice that the answer Jesus gives is, um, to, you know, to, uh, the, to us is this, you know, it's, it's really counterintuitive because he doesn't tell us that the answer to our lulling and dull, the, the lulling and the dulling of life, that rhythm that sucks the spiritual life out of us, that, the, the, that the, the answer is not to remove ourselves from it. it it's counterintuitive because his answer is precisely, what, precisely what, you know, where you think the problem is. His answer to us, his, his counsel to us, is not to remove ourselves from normal life. His answer to us is to live normal life. Take a look at what he says. Well, there it is. When that time comes, take a look at this, because what I want you to notice here is that these, you know, what do you, these, these two individuals, 
that Jesus Christ presents to us are doing exactly the same things, exactly the same things, the normal things of life. One, uh, two of them will be in the field, it says. Well, the field, well, that's where you work. That's where, that's where you make both ends meet. That's where you try to eke out a living. That's, that's where we end up every week, every day of the week, in the field. And he's saying there's no different with in, 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 with when it comes to how we're living our life and how the world lives its life because we're all living normal life. We all have to eke out a living. We're in the field. But you notice a difference between those two individuals when we find out that we are all doing the same things and yet one is taken that is taken to be with God takes that person to be with him, uh, and, and the other one is left behind. And then he repeats that. Two will be grinding at the mill, he says. You know, baking in the kitchen, let's just say. Trying to put food on the table to feed the family. We all do that. And yet... We find that these two, between these two individuals, one is taken and one will be left. What is, why is, why is that? He doesn't tell us, Jesus Christ doesn't tell us to be weirdos and avoid the normal things of life. Here he tells us that the wheat and the tares, those who belong to him and those who don't find themselves, find themselves, find ourselves doing the same things. Engaging in normal living, eating and drinking, marrying, getting married off, going to work, eking out a living, all of those things, the difference. What is the difference? The difference is that those who are taken away to be with Jesus are those are keep, are, who have a dual focus on life. One eye is living life and the other eye on Jesus. The ones who were taken away were the ones that got sucked into this vortex of the lulling and the dulling rhythm, distracting rhythm of life. Those people that live for this life alone, not mindful that Jesus is coming soon. Well, why, why must we be watching? The third and final piece of this is that we can't turn the switch on only at the last minute. We can't. Notice what uh, verses 43, uh, 42, and, and, and all words to the end of, of, our, our, of our text here. Always be watching, Jesus Christ says, he repeats himself, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Or arriving, you can't reverse the direction of a whole life in an instant. You can't flip the switch, turn the switch on at the last minute and hope that you will not be caught unawares. It will not happen, Jesus says. It's, it's a warning to all of us. And then, of course, he gives us this illustration. 
Now get this, he says, if the master of the house had known at what stretch of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. Is that how we deal with thieves? Beg the thieves to give us an advance warning? That would be a poor thief to do that. So he gives us an illustration what that, you know, would that every thief would, would come with an advanced warning. Then we can wait uh, just when he's about to break in and pow. You know, I, I keep a baseball bat by my bed. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but, you know. There are certain things you simply cannot wait to the last minute to turn on, to turn the switch on. And, and, and think that everything will be all right. It just doesn't work like that in a spiritual sense. There was a pastor and his family, and, and they were lounging in their home one summer afternoon. And, you know, food is still on the kitchen counters. This is on a weekend. You, you, know, you, know, you know your own house on weekends. Food's still on the kitchen counters, plates, mugs, utensils still on the table. Um, and books and magazines lying around. They love to read. Hampers of dirty laundry on the floor hasn't quite, haven't quite made it to the, uh, uh, to the laundry room. And then the, the doorbell rings. Somebody's come unannounced. The pastor, still in his pajamas, uh, walks to the door and, I'm not expecting a visitor today. Hmm, who could it be? He gets a little nervous because he's not ready. He opens the door and is shocked to see not one, but 30 well-dressed visitors at his doorstep. The pastor suddenly goes into beast mode and then he remembers that he lives in a house with historical associations and he also remembers that these visitors had arranged a tour of their house months in advance and he forgot all about it. He's eating and drinking. And it completely slips, uh, slips his mind, and the family too. And so the pastor delays the inevitable and tells the visitors, um, uh, tells the visitors, oh, yes, of course, welcome. But would you go to the garden and spend a few minutes there admiring the house from the outside? And they fell for it. And sure, yeah, the house is beautiful on the outside, as I'm sure it is on the inside. And as soon as the door shuts, the whole family goes on, on and, and they tear up the house. And, and the pastor says, five minutes, that's all we've got. Everybody, get to work. I feel like my wife telling us the same thing, you know, at the house. Fifteen minutes. And this, this, this house will be cleaned up. They didn't have 15 minutes, only five minutes. Everybody chop, chop, and they all did their thing. And, you know, it really works, actually. It works. Do it at the end of your day, most days of the week, and say, five minutes, everybody, just, you, know, you know, do your thing. And, and the house can be transformed that way, except this family only had five. But what they were in, uh, able to accomplish in five was impressive. I mean, I mean, you know, everything seemed to be, you know, tidied up, and they would not have known that, you know, the house was, uh, you know, topsy-turvy only five minutes before. The children, after everything had been done, retreated into their bedrooms, and the wife smiles her best smile. They're all dressed up now. 
He opens the door again and lets the visitors in, and everyone is impressed. And their halos just got a lot brighter before the 30 visitors. This is how this pastoral family lives. How awesome. If they only knew. You see, you can tidy up a house in five minutes if you put your mind to it. You can't reverse the direction. You can't reverse the direction of your life in five minutes when you think your visitors are at the doorstep. You can't reverse the direction of a, of a whole life in an instant. You can't flip the switch to on at the last minute and hope that you will not be caught unawares. The switch needs to be on all the time. So don't turn the switch off. Keep switching. Keep that light switch on. And have yourselves a very watchful Christmas. Father God, come to us, abide with us, for we are easily distracted. And life has its way of sucking all the spiritual rhythms out of our lives. Let it not be so with your people. For we yearn for your coming, just as we love to reminisce and to remember about your first coming. And as a people that live between these two advents, we want to be always watchful of ourselves that we can always be ready by your grace through the power of your spirit for whatever life gives us the unexpected if to us the appearing of Jesus Christ is as soon as our death then let us be ready for that every day of our lives thank you that in this time, this time of the year, we can all remember about Christmas, that our salvation is sure because he has already come and he is coming again. Let this buoy us all our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.